Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. We're here as ever to preview the weekend's Premier League action. Only two game weeks left and it promises to be another big one this week. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Who Scored's Kieran McLaughlin and we've got Jonathan Wilson, the legend, here with us as well. And we're going to start with you this week, Jonathan. A bad week at Wilson Towers. I know you're going to tell me that you didn't want Sunderland to go up but Sunderland, of course, just falling short, although they've had a sensational season. And then I was watching Ted Lasso yesterday, and he's Coach Beard's finally finished your book. He's reading something else now. Yeah, he's reading The, the Club by Josh Robinson and um, uh, uh, John Clegg, which yeah. is, uh, oh, you know, it's nice for somebody else to get a look in. Yeah, um, I mean, you have had three series, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that book, the, the fourth edition of it, uh, just to remind people, <laughs> the, will be out with significant additions to the previous edition, on June the eighth, so do look out for that. Did see a tweet go through yesterday, and just a, just just a quick word on Sunderland just falling short, but a really good season still. Yeah, well, yes, I mean it, it. It made no sense to in the playoffs. They they failed to win ten of the last fifteen games of the season. Uh, the injuries they had. I mean, it's a very young squad anyway, but then yeah, key injuries. So they had yeah, no defenders left. I mean, literally no defenders who played a midfielder and a, a fullback and a converted winger. As a back three, they had one player, over, one outfielder over six foot. The last five goals I could see this season were all from corners, which you know is, is going to happen when you've got that lack of height. Had they gone up, they'd have got absolutely battered, I'm sure, without significant investment. Um, Luton finished with 80 points on the finish of 69. When it's when the gap's as big as that, you can't begrudge Luton beating you in the playoffs. So, um, yeah, either they or Coventry, it's a miraculous story. It's three promotions mm-hmm. in five seasons for, for both of them, whichever one goes up. Uh, you, you hope they can put up a fight that they're not sort of um, uh, that they don't sort of become whipping boys for the Premier League. But you, you do fear that. But uh, yeah, for either of them just to get the, the the Premier League money so they can rebuild and they can solidify their futures is is a good thing. And it's you know it's an exciting journey and they they should enjoy it almost no matter what what actually happens next season. Yeah, sensational from both sides. Obviously, Rob Edwards came in when our friend Nathan Jones went into into Southampton and. I know a bit more about Coventry because obviously, obviously they're Midlands, but they've had a torrid time. Their fans with, with so much stuff with their club, so for them to be where they are is absolutely miraculous, as you say. Kieran, been a bad few weeks for you as well since since we last saw you. I don't want to dwell on it too much, but your <laughs> beloved Arsenal, it's not not been a good time, has it? But again, still a sensational season when you look at the face of it. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's progress. You know, under Arteta, we've gone from eighth to fifth to second. And our points have gone up every year. Um, I think at the start of the season, you know, you look at second, you just don't believe it. It's been a tight race up until the last couple of games of the season, you wouldn't believe it. But if you look at it closely, the way we kind of lost it, you know, you kind of do feel a bit disappointed. You know, we kind of did throw it away a bit, whether we bottled it or not, as everyone keeps saying, is a different matter. But when you're up against a team like City, as we saw last night, probably the best team in the world at the minute. It's, uh, it's a hard team to uh, go all the way with. And fair enough, we got there with a couple of games to go. So, But, you know, on to next season. I mean, since Jonathan said that the tile race was over, I can't remember what week it was, but it was he, he'd gone early with that comment. It, it did start to come well, I, I, I said that after the, the 2-2 draw at Liverpool. That yeah. was that early, though. That was early. I know West yeah, but... him, I remember. You, yeah, but you can't you can't you can't chuck away points like that. Not against this city. Um, yeah, the, the, and I, I, I sort of think we get bogged down in this argument over terminology, whether it's bottling or not. But the fact is, if you 
if in the build-up to the biggest game of the season, the game away at City, you draw three games, two of which you've been two goals up in, and the other one's against the bottom team, that that is to an extent a, a you know a mental fragility. It is it is a sort of psychological block. I, you know, I think the odds were stacked against them anyway, but yeah, the the, the and, and to an extent, the two things aren't really separable. You know, why why do you freeze? Because you know you're not quite not quite as as good as that. One of the, one of the things that marks out a good side is having the mental strength to to keep powering through. And Arsenal didn't have that. They may they may have learned from the season. They may have it in the future. You fear this was a one off chance, given that you you suspect other Premier League sides to be better next season. Um, but it would you know, would have been not quite as miraculous as Leicester's title triumph had they won it. But it not not that far off. Let's talk Champions League. Then we've got a bit of Arsenal coming up later on in the show. Let's get the Champions League best eleven from the semi-finals, please, Kieran. Uh, we've got Edison in goal. Uh, back four of Walker, Kirby, Diaz and Akanji. Uh, midfield of Bernardo Silva, De Bruyne, Kalan Haglu and Grealish. And then up top, Dzeko and Martinez. Yeah, just big City's team. Just across the whole, across the whole four. Yeah, I'm not oh, sure not to be playing Chad and Ugly wide either. So um yeah, I'd I'd just yeah, I'd just pick the team City played last night. I mean, they were absolutely unbelievable last night. And we're gonna start with Manchester City this I say start, we've already done two topics, but the first game we're gonna preview this week is Manchester City versus Chelsea, the Sean Wright Phillips Derby. And if City do win this treble, which is looking increasingly likely, I mean they're just they were just sensational in the first half last night. If they were to win it, does it does it rank higher than Man United's treble in nineteen ninety nine, or is it difficult to try and separate the two? It's difficult to to compare, but I, I think probably it doesn't rank anywhere near as high. Actually, um, mm. well, United's winning the treble in '99. They're only the uh, one, two, three, four, fourth team ever to do it. I think. I think that's true. Um, so Celtic in '67, Ajax in '72, PSV in '88. So yeah, the fourth team ever to do it. And has it happened? Five times since is that true? Um, uh, so Barca did it, Inter did it, Bayern did it, Barca did it, Bayern did it. So that's yeah. So five times since. So in the, in the you know in the whole of yeah, there've been forty four years of European football, and before, you know when United became the fourth team to do it in the uh, thirty four years since it's happened. You know, this will be the sixth time. You know, it, it feels a much more common occurrence. I think football is much more stratified now. Um, you know, you look at the advantages Premier League teams have over the rest of Europe financially at the moment. You sort of think that any season when a Premier League team doesn't win the Champions League is is a bit of a failure. That this is this is the era of Premier League's dominance, which certainly wasn't the case in '99. Yeah, you know, that was the first English success in the Premier Tournament since '84. Uh, there was still a real sense of of the Champions League as a as a sort of quest, as a as a as this sort of really difficult uh thing where English teams didn't always get to or didn't didn't at all like you to get to the latter stages. The you know, you think of the games they they had on that run, the you know, the coming from Tinal down away to Juventus in the semi final, the two amazing three three draws against Barcelona in the in the first in the you know, in the group stage, the the wins over uh whenever Inter in the in the quarter final. It was a series of enormous epic games, so in in that sense, that felt like a much bigger achievement. 
Uh, I guess you could flip that around and say that United that season only got 79 points and City will, mm. will obviously get way more than that. But that itself, I think, is a sign of how, how stretched football has become. Um, I mean, it, if, if City do win the, uh, do win the treble, uh, who, who, who's the manager who stopped them doing a quadruple? We know our friend Nathan Jones. <laughs> it's Nathan Jones, yeah. Depends what you mean by by what's better, but there's definitely a greater sense of glory and, and drama. I mean, United didn't win the title till the final day of the season. Well, mm. I mean, okay, I guess City theoretically go to the final day of the season, but I think it's pretty likely to be wrapped up this weekend. Uh, and the only reason it's gone on so long is that yeah, City have had, had played fewer games than Arsenal for, for quite a long time. Yeah, you think of United in the FA Cup as well. The yeah, the, was it the fourth round against Liverpool when they scored twice in the last two minutes to come from behind to win? Obviously, the amazing semi-final against semi-final replay against Arsenal with the Keane sending off and the Bergkamp missed penalty and the Giggs goal. Yeah, that was an incredibly dramatic um, season. I, I, I don't know if it's partly to do with the World Cup, but this season has sort of felt slightly anticlimactic. Um, that yeah, City obviously hugely impressive in beating Bayern and, and Real Madrid but they weren't great dramatic games they were they were great demonstrations of City's power but they're, they're, they're not the sort of you know glorious turnarounds or or you know glorious holding out against the siege that, that, that I think you sort of really remember as a fan uh, I don't think I don't think their FA Cup run's been particularly Exciting. I, I mean, I know they've beaten Chelsea. Maybe the final against United will will will, will throw up something. Um, and even the league, you know, the the two wins against Arsenal were both pretty straightforward. They're not sort of games that are gonna gonna linger in the memories. You know, certainly as that United semi final in in ninety nine does. So probably City now would beat United then. But is is that all we're looking for? I don't know. No, I think the points total is interesting. I think the, the Premier League now is so far ahead in terms of money in in, in, in a lot of leagues. It, it, sorry, than compared to a lot of leagues than it was back then. You, you look at some of the teams in the Premier League. Like Villa, for for example, will outspend probably most of Europe's elite in the summer, whereas that just would have never happened back in, back in 98, 99. And there was less teams in the Champions League then in terms of it was only the top two, I think, that were in the Champions League at that point. Like Manchester United had to play some absolute giants of, of, of the game. It, it wasn't a given. Like City at times feel like a given whenever that... Well, their the, the group team. was... Uh, I mean, OK, it was Burnby who, who United hammered twice. But then it was Bayern and Barcelona. And uh, yeah. Barcelona went out. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a, it's a, that's a ludicrous group. You know, it's... Yeah. I think... Manchester United winning the champ. That I mean, look, anyone wins the treble. It's a it, it's a brilliant achievement. But I do think Manchester. I do think Manchester United treble is probably that little bit more impressive, in, in my opinion. Kieran, I don't, I, mean, I don't even want to read this. Where does this Manchester City team rank in Pep's time in the Premier League? Because apparently, who scored ratings in the Premier League? This is his worst season. We're not quite finished with the season yet. Um, they do still have three games to go, so that could change. But at the minute, uh, ratings wise, they are. The worst at the minute, 6.92 as an overall rated team. Uh, their best is obviously when they got 100 points. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like I said, part of the reason might be that they still got three games to go and they could end the season on 94 points, which would probably be which would be Guardiola's third highest points total, I believe. Um, but maybe it's because there's a reliance on certain individuals more on this current City team. You know, your Haaland, your De Bruyne's, etc., 
Um, they are, course, a quality team, but um, maybe I feel like the competitiveness of the Premier League this year hasn't been quite as it has been in previous years. You know, obviously, we've seen Liverpool drop off. Chelsea being nowhere to be seen. Obviously, we weren't meant to be in this position and obviously it might be part of the reason why our inexperience showed in the end. So, overall, they've probably had it quite easy in a way in the league, even if at times it hasn't always looked that way and potentially that's why their ratings have looked a bit lower than previous years under Guardiola. Yeah, I remember at the start of the season, Manchester City drawing with Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa at Villa Park. It felt like City did have a little bit of a, a few stutters, let's say. At the start, Harlem was still scoring every week, but they hadn't quite got into into gear. Now they're just completely in the groove. And in that first half last night, they just blew Real Madrid away. And if I was Chelsea, I'd be pretty worried this weekend. Man City can probably take it easy and, and still beat them. But it's looking like Pochettino is going to be the manager to come in at Chelsea next season, Jonathan. Do you think that's a, a good a good appointment, Sarah? Yeah, probably. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, Pochettino's career seems to have just sort of stalled for... Yeah, five years. Even that, that, that the last sort of season and a half at Tottenham, the fact that they didn't have the investment he clearly felt they needed. That I think he knew that squad had, had got a bit stale and needed freshening up, and he 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 couldn't do that either in terms of bringing players in or, or selling players on. Um, and yeah, the PSG job, it never seemed so comfortable there. I don't think they ever played the sort of football he wanted them to play. Um, so you, you you slightly worry that that has he lost his edge in that time, or, or maybe he comes back refreshed. But yeah, you know, he's got Premier League experience. He's got a, a you know very impressive record at Tottenham of, of bringing through young players. I think he's he's shown in the past the capacity to to deal with a, you know a chairman and owners who aren't necessarily that easy to deal with. Um, so yeah, you hope for his sake and for Chelsea's sake. That he is, I don't want to say he's allowed to do it himself because I don't think that is the right thing. I think you need your proper sporting director, but that he's, you know, he's not being dominated by the owners. He's not being dominated by Bowley and um, uh, and, and by Clear Lake. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think yeah, there's risk in all managerial appointments, but it, it it seems sensible to me. And I think he's got that toughness to sort of ignore the external noise, of which there is a lot at Chelsea at the moment. I mean, it's only going to get noisier as well, I imagine, in the summer at Stamford Bridge. I guess one of the positive things, Kieran, is that there's a lot of young players there. If he's allowed to shout the squad in the, in the way he wants, if you just look at the players that are there, if he can get that squad size down and they can move people on in the summer, there's some talented young players there that he can mould, which would be similar to when he came into Tottenham. Uh, on paper, they've got a decent lineup. to be honest. As long, well, if they can find the perfect lineup, you know, week in, week out, they seem to chop and change too much and that's probably part of their problem but yeah like you said they do have a good core of young players good quality young players you know you've got the likes of Mudrick who I think will come good obviously his price tag hasn't helped him you know as obviously people come down on that far too much um, you know he's got you know Badia Shile Manduke Fafana um, obviously he's got Nkuku coming in the summer I believe and um, yeah I mean on paper as I said they've got you know a decent starting 11 and you know they've definitely got the money to bring in more players I think he wants a striker you know the name's Osserman and that being linked whether he comes to a team not in Europe is of course a different matter but he can definitely mould a decent enough squad but I think he needs time because you know Poch does prefer to play more of a 4-2-3-1 setup which obviously you know Chelsea been kind of as I said chopping and changing a bit much 
recently. So he, he will need time, and that's the key. They need to give him that time, such as we've seen with Man United, with Ten Hag, Arsenal, Arteta. They need time to get the players they want in, get the players they don't want out, and obviously to form their playing style, which they prefer. And once they do get that, um, then he could take off because, like you said, he's he's got the backing of an owner who's got, you know, the funds to invest. They've got a number of quality players and, you know, he just needs that time, as I said, to mould the perfect team. I love the way you can rail off a list of, of young players that they've, they've bought and you've <laughs> ended up missing out Enzo Fernandez, who cost well over. Yeah, uh, yeah. I forget his age Because there's just so there's just so many there's so many players that you can list. They've spent so much money and bought in so many players in the in the last twelve to eighteen months. It is staggering. But I, I think it's a, a a good appointment. You did worry about what they might do because they've made some some awful decisions so far in in Bowley's tenure. But I do think Pochettino is the, is the man to go in there and and sort it out. I think he's got the right vision, and I, th- I think like Jonathan. And says, I think he's got the he's got the mentality, and he, he's used to dealing with the with the difficult owners and difficult times. I, I think he'll sort them out, but it's going to take a couple of years to get them back up to the level that they want to be. I don't see them challenging for Champions League or challenging for titles anytime soon. Amongst all those young players, Kieran, there's there's Thiago Silva, who who scored have as the tenth best ever Brazilian player in the Premier League. Is is, is that correct? Well, since two thousand nine ten. Uh, the okay. best of, of those players to make um, seventy-five plus appearances. Who, who who's top of that? Right, let's have a guess. Jonathan, best ever Brazilian in the Premier best League. Best Brazilian in the Premier League since uh, two thousand and nine, two thousand. Hang on, but, but hang on. This is that's not actually the question, is it? The question is by by this algorithm. Yeah, best rating. Who, who's the best? So I mean, I would say Fernandinho. I think, uh, or it might be a goalkeeper actually. Uh, Allison or Edison, maybe. Get the stu- stupid Brazilian names kept coming into my head, like Janino and Emerson. And that's not 2009, <laughs> 2010. And even if we were going right back, they're not going to be top of that. I think you oh, might like him, Dan. I might like it. Oh, it's Coutinho. Yeah. Ah. Oh. Jonathan's not happy with that. Well, he's not getting on my bench. <laughs> is, is Alisson in the top 10 out of interest? No. 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 Oh dear. So it's another, it's another oh. great day for the algorithm. It's really kind of uh, covering itself in I, glory. I would guess Coutinho got a lot of goals and assists, probably more than any other Brazilian, and that's probably put him at the at the top of the list, hasn't it? Potentially, yeah, yeah. Potentially, yeah. That, that would be the guess. So who's who's the who's the top five then? So Coutinho, Rafael, uh, Firmino, Fernandinho, and then Gabriel Jesus. Rafael, the Manchester United fullback. <sighs> Algorithm's a tough one. This <laughs> is is his birthday, July the 9th? <laughs> what, what a kind of a question is that? <laughs> well, I'm pretty the sure he, he shares a birthday type... with uh, with Ashley Young and Tom Hanks. Because uh, the algorithm type birthdays into account, and, and, and his twin brother, obviously, as well. <laughs> I mean, how where, how have we even got onto onto this? Well, we're, we're covering Silva up the algorithm's did. embarrassment. Now. That's what yeah, we're doing. Yeah. Diago Silva's tenth. I mean, I'm going to cover it for Kieran's embarrassment in the script. Can he make a difference in this game? I'm not sure he's going to be able to stop. I'm not sure he'll even play. Would you play? Would you play? as much as I love Thiago Silva? Would you Would you play him against this City machine, Jonathan? Um. I mean, would I do it? Maybe. Would Frank Lampard do it? I mean, who knows? Anything could happen. picking names out of a hat, Frank Lampard, at the moment. Mendy just randomly being in goal last week. Yeah. What's that all about? Why are they doing that? I, um, I mean, look, if you're playing a back three, Thiago to sort of anchor that and direct it, you think might make some sense. Playing a back three just to get players around Holland probably makes makes sense. Um, Will he even play Holland? Well, yeah, maybe I, not. He might yeah. not even play. 
Um, well, I don't know. Why would you not play him? Because there's plenty of time before the finals. So get get the league title wrapped up, I guess, is the, the thing to do. Uh, let him get some goals against soft opposition. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's staggering that they are soft. But, you know, if it's Alvarez, I'm sure he'd yeah. also get a load of goals. So... <laughs> Well, on Al- um, on Alvarez, he won the World Cup, didn't he? So he could be winning the World Cup and the and the treble. That's an un- unbelievable season uh, to win the World Cup and win the treble. That well, there's been... been eleven previous players who've won the World Cup and Champions League in the same season, or, or European Cup in the same season. Okay, interesting. You've come out. Obviously, come it's slightly slightly skewed because normally the World Cup comes after comes yeah a month after the yeah. Champions League, whereas this time it's um, so seven of them are Bayern Munich players from 1974. Okay, I mean, this season does feel like about seventeen seasons rolled into one at times, especially with the with the World Cup throwing there. It feels like it's gone on, gone on forever. I mean, we are on the combined eleven section now. I don't even need to ask Jonathan because it's just Man no. City's team. Yeah, yeah. And again, I daren't ask. <laughs> you. What what what's the what's the ratio here? Uh, three to Chelsea, and then eight three. to City. I can't yeah. even. You know, Jonathan guessed the three with me. I can't even think who those three would be. If I just Chilwell one, uh, he's no. not fit, is he? He's injured. Chilwell's not one. I mean, I don't know. Could does one of the centre back sneak it somehow? Uh, two of them. Two of them. So Thiago Silva and Badia Shield. Uh, Fofana. Fofana. No, no, no! Don't put this on social, please. What's the t- <laughs> what's the team then, Kieran? <laughs> right, so it's um, it's Kepa in goal, and then we got a back. Kepa in goal. <laughs> I did. I, okay. I didn't, even reg- didn't even register with me. <laughs> I mean, he, yeah. he might not even play. Like, Mendy might get picked instead. So, like, I mean, anyway, I, carry I, on. Like Go on. They're just kicking hands out of a hat at this point. <laughs> Kepa in goal, and then it's a back four: Stones, Fofana, Silva, and Ake. Uh, three man midfield: De Bruyne, Rodri, and Gundogan, and then a front three of Foden, Haaland, and Grealish. And I'm quite surprised to see Foden in there as well. It doesn't feel like he's played that much. In, especially in the second half of the of the season, how I mean, let's not dwell on it. Obviously, we we all love who scored to bits, but we don't. We can't be having any Chelsea players in that eleven. They're twelfth, <laughs> aren't they? They're twelfth. They're just having a terrible season. That I can't. What's Kepa done to get out? How, what's the difference between Kepa and Edison? In the a- Edison, to be fair, has not had a great season. He, you know, he's. I think he's, Edison's he's been beaten by quite quite a high percentage of shots on target, hasn't he? And he's up against Kepa here. I mean, I'm presuming Kepa's been pretty busy. I've not, I've not watched Chelsea every week. But yeah. I think he, I think his save success rate is pretty good. Surprising. He had that great game away at Villa, didn't he? Earlier in the oh, season. Oh, he was. Of course Early he did. On yeah, he was part, unbelievable. Yeah, of course he did. <laughs> if it wasn't Villa, Villa would already be in Europe if it wasn't wasn't for that guy. Kepa having the best game of his life, the only good game he's ever had in the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> He, that, he got he got forty eight points in the algorithm for that game alone. So yeah, <laughs> maybe that's what's boosted it. Maybe that's what's boosted him up. An absolutely truly world class performance that day in in his defence. Right, let's. Uh, we're not dwelling on the combined eleven. We're, we're going to move on to the prediction segment. What what are you going for, Jonathan? Uh, two nil to City. Two nil to City. I'm going to go four nil to City. Kieran. Uh, three nil. Rainer makes us in the middle. Right then, next it's the Nottingham Forest v Arsenal preview. The Ian Wright derby that we've got going on here. So we had Sean Wright Phillips derby and the Ian Wright derby so far, keeping it, keeping it topical, keeping the keeping the derbies together. We've already touched on Arsenal falling away a little bit, but Kieran, I'll come to you first on this. I mean, again, I don't even like mentioning his name because I've literally zero respect for his football opinions. Pierce Morgan tweeted a transfer list of who Arsenal should be buying. And I've got to say, 
how much money does he think they're going to spend in the summer? There's obviously a couple of players in there that will probably come that they they would need and that would improve them. But his list was very extreme. And as I say, I just don't respect his football opinion at all. Yeah, it was a bit of a, a dream list. I saw that tweet. Um, like a child. I need this. Yeah. This is what I need for Christmas. That's literally what I used to be like when I was in school, writing out the lists in the summer about who we should buy. But no, I mean, obviously we do need investment. Um, there's areas where we're definitely lacking quality, especially where we have injuries. Obviously, I don't need to say it with Saliba. Um, it's obviously a clear area. Um, but I don't think it's just a case of signing names to add depth. I think it's a case of signing players who fit a system. Because, um, you know, Rob Holden might not be the greatest defender in the world, but he's not terrible. And I think the main reason we fell apart wasn't because he's an awful defender. It's because I just don't think he fits in to Arteta's way of playing. He just clearly isn't comfortable playing out from the back. You know, at times um, I was at the sporting game and, you know, you could tell he was just very nervous on the ball. Um, so I think it's a case of, as I said, buying these kind of system players like we did last year with Zinchenko. Um, obviously the likes of Tierney and that seemed to be, you know, potentially gone the exit door, maybe because, you know, he's more of a traditional fullback that doesn't fit in Arteta's mind. That's potentially why we're being linked with the likes of Cancelo. Um, but yeah, we need investment. But then also on the pitch, I think we need more ruthlessness from Arteta. I think there's times in the, se- uh, the season where his decision making is him down. Uh, the City game, a prime example, you know, uh, it was a perfect time to switch things up against an opposition who are clearly superior than us at the minute. You know, potentially go a bit more defensive, um, but you know he stuck to his guns, stuck to what he knows best, and ultimately it didn't pay off. And you know he only decided to switch things up after then, when ultimately the title was lost. So I think that that just comes with experience, that comes with time. But uh, yeah, I mean, who we bring in is still a question mark, and there's no point putting names up because you know things can change so quickly. But you know the obvious names of Declan Rice, Casado, etc. You know, they're dream signings, but, you know, it's going to cost a lot of money alone for just them two. So, you know, it's going, it'll be interesting to see who we do end up signing. Yeah, but this is why Piers Morgan knows absolutely nothing about football. And has he not seen what's happened at Chelsea? You don't get better by just adding a load yeah. of players. You build gradually. So the young players that you've got there already will have another season's worth of experience. that will make them better players. You don't get better by just then adding six or seven players into the mix. You have to build gradually, which is, you know, they got better last season because they they didn't do that. They added to what they already had. And then the players that previously, you know, Erdegaard's been sensational this season, but he wasn't as good the season yeah. before. He's He's got better. So you have to add gradually. So you don't go for Corsado and Declan Rose. You, Arsenal will bring one of those players in. You've yeah. got three other, three other high-level central midfielders, I would say, in Jorginho, Xhaka and Party. If you add Declan Rice or Caicedo, sorry, into that mix. You're building gradually and you, you're going to get better. So his, his list is just complete nonsense. It might be a good list of players. They're, they're all excellent players. Yeah. But you, Arsenal aren't going to go out and buy five or six players this summer, are they, Jonathan? The way they get better and to, or even to, to, to stand still and get, keep where they're at. Because if they finish second again next season, that's a brilliant season for Arsenal again, considering where they were. You do that by adding two or three, not by doing what Chelsea yeah. have done. No, I, I'd agree. I, I think e- even if you're even if you've got a load of cash and you're sort of a lower mid-table side wanting to grow, to sign more than four or five is it's chaotic. I mean, it, there, might, there might be odd examples where I don't know. You, you you sign say five players early in the window. They're the players you want, and then 
yeah, suddenly the middle of August, you realise there's this, you know, a thirty-four-year-old, yeah, high-class player who's available in the free transfer. You think, right, we'll pick him up for a season or two, maybe get him into coaching, and he can bring his experience. And he's only going to play eight, ten games. Uh, maybe there are cases where you can do that. Obviously, bringing kids in is a bit different, and and maybe one of those kids sort of develops faster than you're expecting. But fundamentally, I think I think you're right. I think Arsenal three players, maybe four to pinch, but more than that, and you start to start to overcomplicate things. So yeah, I think I think Declan Rice looks pretty certain. Um, I don't know. I I I can actually see a logic in if you can get Rice and Casado. Uh, maybe maybe you do bring both of them in because I, I think. Uh, there's obviously that's that's your, that's your budget gone. Surely that's two. That's two. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a lot of money, but especially because of Casado signing that new new contract in uh, or just after the January window, wasn't it? But if you could get them, you could afford them. They're both really good players, and yeah, I think Jacko is a player they'll be looking to move on. Uh, we obviously have to be slightly careful what we say about other issues in the Arsenal midfield, but there's possibly another vacancy. Opening yeah. up there, and Jorginho is thirty-two now, I think. So, he's not young, um, but but yeah, I, I think ideally one there, probably another forward, and and probably another centre back, and and that's that's kind of it, really. Yeah, because the players that play off the striker, and you bear in mind if they do sign a striker, Jesus can probably fill in one of those wide positions as as well. They're they're pretty well stocked. Yeah, you know, I don't, well, I don't see loads of players well, leave. Yeah, I don't see loads of people leave in Arsenal. And the you know, Reese Nelson, uh, I know they've they've off. This is now the third contract offer they've given him. So they obviously want Reese Nelson to stay. And I know he's now twenty three, but he you know he's a young player in the sense he hasn't really played a huge number of games, but has at times looked impressive off the bench. So I think you would want to give him another chance. So yeah, I, I think you know, one in each of the three roles is probably about right. Yeah. Maybe next one if you can, but. We've got Fabio Vieira as well. They spent a fair bit of money on mm. in the summer, in the summer. Who hasn't had lo- loads of football? You know, after after a year of getting used to England, I always think you can't judge players on their on their first season. It's always the next season. I know there's exceptions to that. You know, Salah came and then had a stupendous first season for Liverpool and has pretty much been at that level ever since. But really, I don't think you see the the best of someone until until the season after. Like Erdegaard just comfortably had his best season for Arsenal, and he's had a year and a half. Was it? In the in the Premier League before that, now but he's now operating at the, a really really high level. Arsenal don't need to reinvent the wheel in the summer; they just need to steadily add add real quality. That's what they yeah. did last summer, and I think that's what they'll do again. And if they do that, I think they'll have a, they'll have a really really good season, a strong season again. They're going to Forest, where they've lost their last two, both in the FA Cup at the City Ground. I mean, if I was Forest, Kieran, I'd be thinking this is a this is a great time to play Arsenal off the back of that Brighton game. We if we get a point even, we're, we're possibly safe, which is a stupendous season from them. But it's a good time to play Arsenal because they don't really have anything to play for now. They're going to finish second. Players looked a bit mentally shattered last week, I would say. Yeah, I think the shoulders dropped after the Southampton game. Um, you see all the the TV cameras panning on the players. They looked like they knew then that the title was done. But as you said, this is probably a game where Forest are definitely going to be up for it a lot more than we are, I believe. And yeah, maybe it's another case of, you know, an away ground atmosphere we might struggle at. I mean, we always reference that Xhaka moment as a key one at the game at Anfield. You know, could it be another case here that, you know, the atmosphere, you know, bigs up the the home players to perform better and get under our skin a bit? I mean, and yeah, I I just don't know if they're going to be really up for 
putting too much of an effort in here because, as you said, the title's done. To be honest, you know, you can't see City not getting what they need, like two points, I think, from possible nine. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be one of them ones where I think Forrest are definitely going to be up for it more and, you know, Arsenal may find themselves struggling. Um, you know, they probably already see the season is over and already seeing themselves getting ready for the next one, to be honest. Yeah, Forrest have got an informed striker at the moment, Jonathan. I feel like this happens quite a lot in the relegation running at the end of the season. If you think back to, to Kevin Campbell in the 90s for Everton, a striker always comes from nowhere and, get, and gets the goals that keeps the team up. And that it feels a little bit what a one he's doing at the moment. I mean, you, you, you really mean Colin Wickham, don't you? That's that's what you're actually talking there's about. Always, uh, there's always a striker who's barely scored through the whole season. I think there's other reasons for why a one year hasn't scored, but they just yeah. come alive at the end of the season. I mean, he's had a lot of injury problems, but for four goals in the last two games, having scored four goals in the, you know, the rest of the season, but he's looked incredibly lively and, and he's clearly playing with loads of confidence. So, yeah, it's Forrest had a problem scoring goals, so to suddenly get somebody in form at this stage is is critical. Um, and this probably is a game that's, you know, if it, was a, if it was a time to play Arsenal at home this season for Forrest, this is probably the best time. That this this is going to be the least hard version of Arsenal you have to play, uh, given how bad Forest away form is. Going to Palace on the final day, I, I, I don't know how testing that is, but given how poor their away form is, they probably want at least a point here, three points above relegation zone. So a point here, and that that might be enough. So um, yeah, one year uh, is yeah. He, he's he's obviously been a key part of the little surge they've had over the last couple of weeks, and if he can keep that going, well, great. How 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 well do you think Forrest have done this season? I, I actually think Steve Cooper's probably not getting the credit he deserves if if, if they stay up. But I think he's done exceptionally well to mould that squad together. To get, again, you look at the chaos at Chelsea and what's happened to them—the drop off. They were third last season; they've gone to twelfth. Forrest have added more players into into the mix that, than Chelsea have overall across the two windows. I think. And if they stay up, I think that's a huge achievement. Yeah, I mean, up to a point, the chaos was was necessary chaos in, mm, in yeah. that they had a lot of lone players that came up from nowhere through the playoffs last season. But they probably oversigned players in well, they definitely did oversign players in in the summer. It was pretty hard to see a focus or a pattern to that. Um, and then we've seen the pattern repeat that Potter got them together. It's not Potter, sorry, um, Cooper got them together. Um, they they were looking great before the World Cup and then they get another load of players in January and everything's put into chaos again. And again, slowly, he's, he's managed to find a, a pattern there. So uh, have they as a club done this particularly well? I'm, I'm not sure. Has he as a manager done things well? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't know. I don't know what happens next. I don't know whether they sign another sort of eight, ten players in the summer and it's chaos again, or whether they sort of think, yeah, this is this is it. We get rid of half a dozen and we maybe bring in one or two where, where we need need extra bodies, where we need need extra quality. And I don't know what he thinks, whether he sort of thinks, I, I can't cope with this chaos anymore. I've got to go somewhere a bit more, uh, a bit calmer, a bit more secure. Um, and, yeah, say, I don't know, there's plenty of mid-table jobs that could become available either in the summer or or sort of three or four months in the next season that, that maybe he might be looking to. I, I think he's an exceptional manager, Steve Cooper. And if you talk to people in, in football that have worked under him, they all rave about what a good what a good coach he is and, and what a good person he is. I think he's dealt well 
with the hand he's been given. I mean, to have got them up in the first place was absolutely ridiculous. But if he keeps them there as well, the Forest fans absolutely adore Steve Cooper. So I think if Forest stay up, that's it. That's an amazing season for, for them, considering the chaos that that's been the, the transfer windows and how many players have actually come in there. Unregistering players who they've signed in in a, in the summer window in in January because I can't fit them in the, in the squad. You know, he's had to amalgamate so much together. He, he deserves huge huge credit. Score predictions for Forest v Arsenal, Kieran. Uh, I think one one. One one, Jonathan. Also one one. I'll go for two one to Forest. I think Forrest might, might beat them, unfortunately, for you, Kieran. The quickfire previews is next, but we're recording this before West Ham's Europa Conference League semi-final. And, of course, Newcastle-Brighton is Thursday night as well. So bear that in mind when you're listening to what the guys have to say. Jonathan, it's Tottenham against Brentford for you. And as ever with Brentford, I've got absolutely no derby in mind whatsoever. So Tottenham v Brentford. Kind of meaningless game. Um, this is one of the, you know, the, the first of those sort of real end of season games and not a huge amount riding on it i guess yeah spurs getting into one of the lower european competitions they're seventh they're nine points now uh off off fourth with uh with two games left so obviously that's that's well gone um a point behind brighton you have two games hand but obviously the one of those games is tonight level with villa uh the way it leads on the final day they've only won over the last six so even though there's been a sense of things i've picked up on the right and Mason hasn't really been reflected in the results. Brentford are only three points behind uh, Spurs. They're at City on the final day, so yeah, this this might be their last chance to get get points. They've won four of the last three, sorry, won three of the last four after a, a, a poor run where they, they only took three points from from six games. Uh, Luis Bentancur, Sessegnon out for Tottenham. Dyer could return. Janssen Norgord out for Brentford. Uh, Tony could, oh, well, he could have returned, except he's now banned, doesn't he? But he, he should be fit for his ban, at least. Uh, it was 2-2 two, two at Brentford. I think Tottenham are going to win 1-0. Okay, I'm going to go for, I'll go for 1-1. Kieran? Yeah, I think 1-1 one, one, too. 1-1 one, one as well. Kieran, your first game is Wolves v Everton, the Jolly and Lescott Derby. So, um, obviously, it's a massive game for Everton. They're bid to survive. Um, Wolves don't have too much to fight for. By the fact it's their final home game. Um, and they have won three and lost three in their last six fixtures in that exact order of one loss, one loss, one loss. Um, most recently losing to Man United, of course, in a 2 defeat last weekend. Their home record is 10th best in the league, having picked up 29 points from a possible 54. Um, and 21 of those 29 points have come since Lopetegui uh, took charge. Um, Everton have only won two of their last 10 in the league um, after their 3-0 defeat to Man City. And away from home, their record is one of the worst. Only Nottingham Forest to pick up few, fewer wins on the road uh, than the Toffees this season. Um, so, of course, Everton need the win in their bid to survive. Obviously, other results could help them if they get the win here. But I do think it will end 1-1. I'm going to copy you, I think, 1-1 for this one as well. Jonathan? Yeah. Snap one 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 three one ones. Jonathan, you've got Bournemouth against Manchester United now, and I've got nothing in the derby stakes again. Yeah, well, I do remember Bournemouth beat Manchester United in the FA Cup in uh, in eighty four. Uh, one of the first sort of big shocks I sort of remember as a kid. Uh, I think Harry Redknapp was the Bournemouth manager at the time. Um, but that's not a derby. Sorry, that's just a no. That doesn't that doesn't help anyone. Just, just an old, just an old man wittering. Just an anecdote. <laughs> Yeah, uh, United uh, going at this fourth the level with Newcastle. Newcastle playing tonight, as we keep saying. Um, point clear of Liverpool, having played 
uh, who, Liverpool who have played the game more. So, yeah, United would really have to mess up. They've got this game and then they've got home games against Chelsea and Fulham. So, they, yeah, they, 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 they should be able to get the six points they need to, to seal Champions League qualification. Having said that, they're really not playing well at the minute. They're sort of limping to the line with a, with a load of injuries. Uh, they failed to score in four of the last seven. Uh, Rashford's purple patch seems to have ended, and that's that's sort of exposed. I think the limitations elsewhere in in, in the squad. Uh, Bournemouth, for their part, happily fourteenth, nothing to play for, and that's a, that's a sign of of what a success they've they've been. Particularly after the terrible start they they had to, to the season, they're eight points clear of relegation, so mathematically safe. Uh, they've lost to Chelsea and Crystal Palace in the last two games, which maybe is a sign that they have switched off. Uh, Martinez, Sabitzer out for United, doubts over Rashford, McTominay. Uh, Tavernier out for Bournemouth. It was 3-0 at Old Trafford. And I think you had a win this 2-1. Yep, I think 2-1 as well. Kieran? 2-0 uh, Man United. 2-0 to Manchester United. This is, I'm struggling with the derbies this week. I don't know whether it's the early record time, but I've got no, I've got nothing for Fulham Palace either. Oh, there must be players who played for Bournemouth. I know, there, there must be, but I've not. Oh, I've got one. I think I've pulled one back from last season. Gabor Karali, the goalkeeper in the Joggers. <laughs> He played for both. That's as good as it gets from there. Did, did Andy Johnson ever play for Fulham? Yes, he did. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's a good one. <laughs> um, so Fulham, after three defeats in a row, um, made it back-to-back wins, following up a 5-3 win over Leicester with a 2-0 win over Southampton. Um, but at Craven Cottage, they have lost three of their last five games um, on their home turf. Uh, for Crystal Palace, you know, obviously they had the four-game unbeaten run start under Roy Hodgson, but since then have lost two and won two of their last four, most recently winning 2-0 over Bournemouth. Um, away from home in the league, they've only won twice in 2023, uh, though both of those as have come since Roy Hodgson took over. Um, it's Fulham's final home game, and there's not a lot to fight for in this game, bar confirming a top 10 spot. Um, so it might be a bit of a flat game, so I'm going with a 2-1-1. Uh, one, one. I'm going to go 2-1 to Fulham. Jonathan? 1-0 uh, to Fulham. 1-0 to Fulham. I mean, take your pick for derbies in this one. Liverpool v Aston Villa. I'm going to plump for the lesser-known Ali Sissoko derby. This this does matter. A rare game that matters and could be quite a good game, I think. Liverpool the fifth. Point behind Newcastle Manchester United, having played a game more than both. And uh, seven clear of Brighton, but they've played two games more than Brighton. Brighton obviously playing Newcastle tonight, as, as, as we keep saying. So that will change. Villa point further back in eighth, having played the same number of games as Liverpool. Uh, so Liverpool really need to win to have a chance of getting in the, in the Champions League. For Villa, it's just about can they get into Europe and which of the, the lesser two competitions are they going to get into. Uh, Liverpool in great form at the moment. They've won seven games in a row, partly a consequence of a relatively easy fixture list. Five of those games have, have been won only by a single goal. So I'm not sure they're playing absolutely at their best. Um uh, Villa, uh, after a couple of defeats, beat Tottenham in the last game. So, a sign of, of, of them coming back. Uh, they, they met on Boxing Day. Liverpool won 3 1 at Villa Park. Maybe a bit fortunate to do so, but that was a decent game. Thiago and Bajatic uh, out for Liverpool. Keita Firmino and Darwin Nunez are doubt. Coutinho out for Villa. I'm going to say Liverpool to win 2 0. I'm going. So, Villa will probably lose. I want to go Liverpool 2. Villa one, Villa just falling short. Real bad time to play Liverpool, considering some of the downs they've had this season. And Villa have lost four in a row at Anfield as well. By the way, so yeah, I'm going to go two one to Liverpool. Kieran, uh, yeah, I think two one as well. Two one to Liverpool. 
Kieran, West Ham v Leeds need a derby quickly, and I've not got one. The Robbie Kane, the Robbie Kane derby. Okay. Um, West Ham have now um, come into this game having lost four of the last five in the league. Um, though, of course, they have pretty much confirmed their survival. It would take, of course, a massive goal swing to uh, uh, say otherwise. Um, and, of course, potentially with concentration on the Conference, week, conference League, which obviously they play tonight. Um, but at home, they have won four of their nine home games in the Premier League in 2023, um, though only one win in their last four at the Olympic Stadium in the Premier League. Um, Leeds are now winless in seven, and of course in desperate need of the points uh, to survive, and you know drew 2-2 last weekend with Newcastle, um, which puts even more pressure on them to get the win here. Um, only Forest have fewer points away from home uh, in the Prem than Leeds this season. Um, they do, of course, need the win, and it's going to be a difficult game for them and potentially might take advantage of West Ham's fatigue, depending on what team they've got tonight. Um, so may sneak a 2-1 win, I think, for Leeds. Yeah, I think Leeds will win 2-0. I think Leeds will, Leeds will beat West Ham the weekend. Jonathan? 1-1. Uh, 1-1. Now it's time for Brighton v Southampton. There must be a peak seaside player, but I've, I, haven't, I haven't got one. <laughs> No, no, becomes immediate to mind. Brighton, seven points off Liverpool in fifth with two games in hand. Uh, they're eight points away Manchester United with a game in hand and eight points behind Newcastle with a game in hand, but they play Newcastle tonight, so they could close that gap to Newcastle to five. So they do still have hopes of, of getting in the Europa League, if not necessarily the Champions League. And this really is a game that they they ought to win. Uh, something you know, down, eight points adrift. And they've only taken one point from the last eight games in a, yeah, in a, in a terrible mess. It does sometimes happen that, that relegated teams, once the uh, once relegation is confirmed, sort of find the pressure is off and, and, and find a new way of playing. But I'd be surprised if that happened with Southampton. Brighton themselves, their recent form has been mixed. They, they beat Wolves 6-0. They, they beat Manchester United with that last-minute penalty. Then lost 5-1 at home to, to Everton, but then were very, very impressive in winning 3-0 at Arsenal. Um, they're without Lallana, March, Webster and Moda. Veltman and then Cisa both doubts. Perro, Balakosha, Livermento, Salisu, Larius and Adams all out for Southampton. I think Brighton to win 2-0. 4-1 to Brighton. Kieran? Uh, I'm going to go 2-0. To Southampton? Uh, Brighton. Oh, to Brighton. That's what I <laughs> we finish with Newcastle v Leicester then, Kieran, the Keith Gillespie derby. Uh, yeah, so prior to tonight's game, of course, um, Newcastle win this in two uh, after their 2-2 draw with Leeds. Um, as I said prior to tonight, they were level with points with Man United. So, of course, the win is needed in, order, in their push to secure a Champions League place, especially with Liverpool on their tails. Um, the thing that comes uh, is obviously a positive for them coming into this game is that they've only lost twice at home in the Premier League this season. And both of those were to uh, Liverpool and Arsenal. Um, for Leicester, um, they are, of course, in desperate need of points as well, but for other reasons at the other end of the table in order to try and survive um, but it's not looking good for them they've only got one win in their last 14 um, and away from home this season they have lost 12 times and have let in 41 goals um, they need a win but it might not be enough to survive um, depending of course on other results um, and I'm probably going to go with a Newcastle win 3-1 I'm going to go 2-0 to Newcastle Jonathan also 2-0 
2-0 to Newcastle. Right then, that does us for this week's edition of the Edge of the Box podcast. Thanks ever so much for watching and don't forget to subscribe to the channel with your post notifications on. Leave a comment below as well and give the video a like if you've enjoyed it. Thanks to the chaps for joining me as well. Always a pleasure to talk to you both. Enjoy all the football at the weekend and stay safe. Stay safe.